1: You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Yay!
2: Welcome, everyone, to the AME Radio Show. I'm your host, Jason Dowd, and I've got a great show in store for you guys this week. we got a lot to cram in, so we're going to try to do it as fast and as efficiently as possible. Uh, we got two great guests coming up. We have Ken Timmerman, who's talking about the book uh, that Hillary doesn't want us to know about. It is all about the video that supposedly alleged caused the entire Benghazi meltdown. Uh, We are also talking to Justin Graber and talking to him about all his new projects that he has coming out. He's an actor, great actor, and some great movies that he's in. Then we're going to be talking a little bit about success and achievements. And it's amazing what I learned about that this week. And I'm going to share with you and my personal views on success and uh, accomplishments. Now, if you are on our, uh, if you want to check us out, go to it at uh, www.theamemagazine.com. That is the place for our television, radio, and magazines, all in one place, 24 7, 365 days a year, and it's free. Also, if you're on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash theameexperience and like us. We want to get a lot of likes, we want to get a lot of interaction and if you're on Twitter, we're on there too. It's at Dowd Studios, which is my personal Twitter. It is the Studios Twitter, and it's the AME Experiences Twitter. So go check that out, and if you want to see us on a lot of different other things, we are there. Just look up my name, Jason Dowd, D-O-W-D. All right, guys, we are going to go to our first uh, break here, and then we're going to come back. We're going to go to our first guest, and then we're going to be talking about success. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned.
1: The AMFM 24-7 Roku Channel broadcasts all of our shows on demand. To ensure reliability, we store and stream our content on the same servers as Netflix and Amazon. Our Roku Channel is free to use, and anyone owning one of the more than 10 million Roku devices can watch our channel at no cost whatsoever. If you have a television show or are thinking about producing a show, you can be a part of AMFM 24-7's Roku Channel. Watch our great shows on your Roku device. It's free and more reliable than cable TV. Are you stuck with a timeshare? Did you attend the presentation and were seduced and enticed into buying that great vacation and investment? Now you're in the terrible position of trying to figure out a way to get out of that mess. You're not alone. For over 15 years, BuyYourTimeshare.com has been helping people like yourself get out of timeshare ownership. The fact is, there is no resale market unscrupulous telemarketers call you and say they have buyers waiting and the next thing that happens is you give them hundreds of dollars for an ad and you'll never hear from them again another fact is that an identical timeshare to yours is being offered on ebay for a dollar and no one is buying it if you want out of your timeshare i urge you to go to buyyourtimeshare.com or call them at 877-94-HELP-ME that number again is 877-94-HELP-ME buyyourtimeshare.com that's buyyourtimeshare.com. 877-94-HELP-ME. 877-94-HELP-ME. A teacher holds the power to make a huge difference in the lives of students. D.D. Ritman's new book, Student Teaching, The Inside Scoop from a Master Teacher, will help both new teachers and veteran teachers to be the best teachers they can be, impacting students' lives one day at a time. Available at ddritman.com or amazon.com. Again, that's D e d e r i t t m a n D-E-D-E-R-I-T-T-M-A-N.com. Andrea Tanteros here from the Fox News Channel. I've got a new book out, Tied Up in
3: Knots: How Getting What We Wanted Made Women Miserable, also known as the modern-day men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Go ahead and pick it up at your local bookstore
4: now. It's already a bestseller, or you can get it off Amazon.com or HarperCollins.com.
3: Hey, this is Jen Lilly from Days of Our Lives, and you're listening to AME Radio Show.
2: All right, everybody. I have on the line with me a very special guest. His name is Justin Graber, and he has been seen in a bunch of different TV movies. He's been in full-length features, theater, and so much more. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
3: I'm pretty good, Jason. How are you doing?
2: Good. So I saw your resume. you got a pretty extensive resume. It looks like you're doing uh, a bunch of different things from TV movies, and you've done some full-length features, even theater. Where did it all start for you?
3: Uh, it all started in 2012 when, uh, I got out of the army. I separated from the army. I was in the army for eight years. had four deployments overseas, uh, three in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. And I was, I was on that threshold of eight years. So it was like, do I stay in and do another, do, do another 12 or do I get out? And, um, after discussing it with some of my family, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty wore out from, from doing this. I'm sick of deploying. I, I want to do something different and really buckled down and thought about what I wanted to do and acting. That's what came came to mind. So started school. Um, well, I moved back home for a year in Buffalo, New York. That's where I'm from. And started getting into, like, independent student productions and, and, and like, the independent uh, film and TV community there in Buffalo. And I loved it. Um, that led me to taking classes at Savannah College of Art and Design. And now I'm here in Los Angeles, California, studying theater at USC.
2: Wow. And uh, what has been some of the, the best highlights for you uh, as far as, let's start off with theater. How has theater uh, been to you, what, and how different is it from, say, going in a, into a movie and, and having a full-length feature like that, or maybe even television?
3: Um, I would say, like, the order that, that things happen uh, between theater and, and film and television. So, like, with, with film and television, things are shot out of order. So it's very... It's very difficult, um, and challenging for an actor to try to think about where his character is coming from beforehand and where he's going, um, throughout the scene and where he's going to end up. Whereas with theater, everything is like pretty much in order, obviously. You're on stage. Um, I love both mediums. Uh, acting for both mediums is very, very beneficial. Um, doing the, doing the theater thing is, is great because you, you get to build a connection with the audience and it's a different connection each time. So, one audience might respond to the way you're doing things, um, awesomely the first time, and they might not like it the second time. So you have to kind of adjust your style and what you're doing to, to, uh, to please the audience pretty much, you know?
2: Sure. Now, I know theater sometimes you have the ability to have two or three shows in a row, uh sometimes two or three times in a day depending on where you're where you're performing and what the what the bill is. Um is it easier to be able to do it over and over and over again in front of people? Does it make like the the last or or maybe the first one better than the other ones?
3: Um it's I think it's different every time. So like recently I was I was uh, cast in a in a in a student production called *The Vending Machine*, it was written by one of the MFA writers there at, at school, and they brought in um, Eddie Padilla to, to, to direct it. We had to do—we um, had four shows over the span of a weekend, so it was—it uh, was definitely like challenging the this, second this time trying to like come up with some some of the same emotions that my character Elroy had to go through. Um, I was like, uh, I was playing a soccer dad pretty much. And I had hopes and dreams for my son to su- succeed and I hadn't succeeded in my life and I was pretty unhappy. So there was a, there was an emotional scene where I had to like tear up a little bit. So it was, it was difficult the second time, but um, I noted that the second time. So like the third time, the fourth time I did it, I did a little bit, a little bit more emotional prep before the scene, um, before I went out there to do the scene. So I think it depends on, on, on what the play is and what you're doing and, and, and all of that. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's uh, it's easier. So, like, definitely the the fourth time I was doing that scene specifically, well, I was seeing towards the end end of the play. I was more connected with the character because of the emotional prep that I was doing beforehand.
2: Now, how do you do emotional prep? I mean, how do you make yourself cry on demand or anything like that?
3: It's uh, it's different for every actor. There are different there are different techniques you could do. Um, there's there's something called emotional recall which uh, is, is you as the person are trying to bring up feelings that are, that are very similar to what the character is feeling. Um, I found that to be very, it, it's, it's useful for me, but it's not very healthy for me to relive things, especially being in the military and, and, and seeing some of the stuff that I've seen in the military. But um, so what, there's other techniques that, that you could use. One, one is uh, it's taught by Meisner. Um, that's, that's what I use is just, uh, using your imagination. Like, how would I feel as this character in this situation? Um, a lot of the research comes, comes into play as well. Like, uh, I did a lot of research with my character. I, was, I actually got to wear a fat suit, which was pretty fun. Um, but one of the physical impalements of my character was he had titus. So I did a lot of research on that. Uh, I, I asked, um, asked my dad how, how he would feel. In the situation if if I was like a soccer star and and mouthing him and, and stuff like that so there's a lot of research that comes into play and a lot of imagination um I think I think it marries with some of the st- things that I've experienced too throughout life mm-hmm. so that's everyone every actor comes up with their own technique to do it so
2: I got to admit, though, that's got to be one of the most intense things that I've been able to see, and what I appreciate so much about any type of actor or actress, no matter what they're doing, whether TV, movies, or, or theater, is the ability to to show emotion like that when they really, it, it, the stuff really never happens, so to be able to do it on mm-hmm. demand is just phenomenal for, to me, and I would love to be able to, to know how to do that myself. I couldn't do it. That's one of the reasons why I don't act, but um, I have a lot of respect for that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's I think everybody can do it. It's just about taking the classes and and doing the preparation and 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 being present within the scene. Because um, a lot of a uh, a lot of scenes do do call for emotional emotional content, and you have to just you have to know where your character is, and you have to like very you have to really connect with them mm-hmm. or her
2: now let's kind of get into your into your uh, career as a uh, independent film star um, independent film is a lot different than the the mainstreams with the big studios and stuff but yet they also have a lot of challenges they have a lot of benefits and so many good things and 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 uh, challenging things along the way what have been your experiences mm-hmm. so far with the uh, independent film uh, scenes
3: um well, I've I've done extra work for some of the the bigger things, uh, like the the TV film I was in was pretty pretty well budgeted, as well as I uh, was a, was an extra in the um, uh, the Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part Two movie. Uh, I, was, I was somewhere in the background of that movie. Uh, but I've I've seen a lot of from working with independent films. There's a lot of like respect that's there as opposed to like well, obviously extras don't get treated. As well as the, the stars are going to be treated, but there's, there's more of a respect aspect that's involved with independent mm-hmm. films and independent TV. Obviously the next step would be for me to, um, become SAG eligible and, and join the union, but I'm not in any rush. There's so much independent stories that want to be told, um, that are, that are phenomenal and, and have very good, like, substance to them. Um, as opposed to some of the some of the bigger stuff that's coming out these days is isn't all that great. But obviously there's, there's it's a double edged sword because there's still great stuff that's that's coming out, especially with Netflix and like I just recently watched uh second season of Daredevil and that was, Daredevil and that was just, just blew me away. I almost I was I was I was almost in tears with uh with the Punisher's character arc. I was like wow like I, I was able to like, relate on so many levels with him but
2: yeah with uh, the independent film, I know with you know the full length features and stuff that you see with like uh, universal and everything they have a lot of heavy uh, computer graphics uh you know and special effects and everything is is it possible to have that as an independent art as an independent film and have you been involved in anything like that
3: um I think what comes down to it is like the money uh one of the things um One of the films I was in called uh, Beyond the Call of Duty, they had a huge, or not a huge budget, but they had a huge, huge budget issues and and they needed to add a lot of special, special effects, but they, they relied uh, mostly on uh, makeup, makeup works. So it's possible to have it, um, not to the extent of like the computer graphics, unless you, you're able to pay somebody. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest uh, challenge that comes with independent films is the budget.
2: So, how do you work around it? Let's just say you get a you're in, you're in a you're in a film and it doesn't have a great budget but you're able to put together something pretty intense anyways what are you what are the challenges to getting around that and still making it a very you know appealing movie to the to the audience
3: yeah i think it's i think what it comes down to is like the the creativity level so if you have somebody getting shot you know um there are different ways to 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 do that uh you could you could cut to black and then have the and the noise which is probably the the most inexpensive way to do it um i've played with uh i play i played with fake blood on 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 stage and that gets extremely messy and sometimes it doesn't it doesn't pan out too well i was i, was, I did a scene recently um where I got stabbed and it was for a class and my uh I, I was wearing suspenders like I just like came up with this on my own. I was wearing suspenders and I, um, safety pinned the, the baggie of fake blood next to where the, where I was about to get stabbed mm-hmm. and I poked holes on the top of it. So like, obviously gravity was keeping the, keeping the blood down. And then once I got stabbed, I was going to squeeze it and all the blood was going to come out. But, um, there's a point where I, where I stood up and the scene and in the bag fell through my shirt onto the floor and everyone was like what's going on here so i had to like stay in stay in character picked up the bag put it back in my shirt then get stabbed and then like the blood was everywhere but um i don't know people said that uh if if the bag didn't fall and they didn't see the the blood um the blood bag fall then they would have uh they would have thought it was real when i got stabbed so i guess you know there's Certain things you could do. Um, it, it comes down to the creativity. Like you have to, you have to think of what what can you afford versus what you can't.
2: And besides acting, I'm sure that you have other aspirations in the in the entertainment field. Would you ever consider maybe directing or producing your own movie? And like sometimes you even star and direct in it. Is that something that would be interesting to you?
3: Um. There's, a lot of people that do that, that do the directing and directing themselves in, in something. I'm not sure that i not sure that I would be totally interested in that. I would I would like to direct a film or uh I've directed a little bit of theater um in in the outside world. And I like directing because it, it parallels with what I used to do in the army, kind of. Like I was a staff sergeant, so I was in charge of eleven people. So being in charge of people kinda like parallels with being a director and, and getting people to do what you need them to do. There's different, there's a different language when it comes to directing and, uh, there are classes that I've been pursuing to learn those languages instead of like, you know, I can't tell people to do push-ups if they're not doing, if they're not giving me a certain emotion, uh, unfortunately in the film industry. But directing myself, I don't think, I think the take away the opportunity of somebody el- of, of that job, like somebody else can do that job. Mm-hmm. It's if, if I'm if i the star of something and if I wrote something like I would want to give that opportunity to some something to someone else. Does that make sense?
2: It does. It actually does make sense. Cool. So um let's kinda let's kinda go into um the challenges and the and the benefits of what you do. Every art every artist has challenges that they gotta face going through it to get to the success that they're that they're wanting to achieve. What has been your role, what has been your road so far, and what have been the biggest challenges that you've come up with, and how did you find a way of getting through that?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, well, when I first started uh, pursuing acting, I came across uh, a, a, p- a specific unfortunate event um, that that kind of acted as a, a pothole in my road. So um, You could Google my name and a lot of stuff comes up about my past military, uh, experiences. Unfortunately, that, that, uh, has people, it's, it's, it's the past. You know what I mean? I, I, I went through, um, four deployments after my second deployment. I, uh, something happened and it, re- it resulted in me getting court-martialed and I had to go to jail for it. Um, and I had a fight to stay in the army and I won that fight. It was a long uphill battle. But if you Google my name, like all of these, uh, you're supposed to believe like half of what you read or none of what you read. I don't remember what, what's, I don't know, what is, what is the thing? I don't know. Whatever. But, um, but yeah, so, so I was cast to play a, uh, the lead role in the first ever thing that I auditioned for. It was an indie film in Buffalo. And these guys eventually Googled my name and they were like, Oh no, this is bad for publicity. And I was like, listen, like I'm not some jerk sack. Like I, I fought to stay in the army after this. And then I did stay in the army. um, and they were like, "Well, no, we just don't feel like this is going to be good for for us, so we're not going to cast you anymore." I was like, "Well, that's fine. I mean, it's not going to stop me from from pursuing acting, but there have been some challenges like that that have come up here and there. But for the most part, I, I don't see it coming up anymore um, because I, I've built that resume, and now I have, you know, I'm on IMDb, and I've got a demo reel, and I get headshots every two years, and I'm doing all the things. I'm, I'm in school. I'm, I'm pursuing what I need to pursue in order, in order to be successful in this. Um, like similar stuff that comes up, unfortunately, is like when I get cast in something and I'm supposed to get attached heart laid for it, and then all of a sudden the the production goes, you know, goes south, and for whatever reason, and I'm like, oh, like that was my that was my uh, that was my chance to become like union eligible, SAG eligible, but. Um, you know, like I said I'm, before, I'm not in a rush. It'd be nice to nice to get picked up, but there's so much, so much other other work out there. Um, it's just about like staying positive and and keep on keeping on keeping on. You know what I mean?
2: Right. Never take a no for an answer.
3: Yeah, unless you know you're and trying to have sex with your girl and she says no, then <laughs> you should probably take that. <laughs> yeah, that take enough. that no. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. No,
3: but uh, yeah, and, and there's been other other instances where uh, there's one instance last summer where um, I went I went out to an audition and I was uh, I went to the wrong place and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't think I'm in the right place, and I found the right place. And then I started uh, doing research on the place that I went to. It said that Graves Casting, so like, what's Graves? And then, and then I found out online it's supposed to be a show that Nick Nolte is going to be uh, featured in, and uh, it's coming out this year in Epix. So I went back and I, I was trying to crash that. That audition, and then uh, the guy came out and was like, "I don't know who sent you here," and I was like, well, I just need sides, you know, because um, I I didn't get sides." And there, there's like, "I don't know, like who's who's your manager?" And I was like, "Well, all right, I'll be honest with you. I'm trying to crash this. And he was like, "Oh, okay. Well, at least you're honest, but I can't let you in because this isn't this isn't the initial audition. This is the callback with the director. Well, I'll take your headshot." And I was like, "All right, cool." So I gave him my headshot. So who knows? Like maybe season two they'll give me a call, or maybe I'm blacklisted on some blacklist somewhere just <laughs> never talk to me again.
2: <laughs> well, see, that's what I like about people that are that are ambitious and they go out there and they ch- they want something, they're going to do what it takes to make it happen and not just roll over to the first no that comes their way. Because um, it does, it, you know, yeah. any type of art takes a huge constitution inside of you because you're going to hear rejections, you're going to hear, uh, you know, praise and stuff like that. And sometimes it's not easy to hear that stuff, but you've got to be able to to take it you know the good and the bad, and just keep going forward, and just seem to block it out of your head, and just focus on what you're trying to do.
3: Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, it makes me um, think about last summer. I was uh, I got um, called back, and then I got on a veil, which means it's between me and one or two other guys uh, for uh, I think three commercials and a TV pilot. And so I'm on a veil, and I'm waiting for the call, and then I never I never hear anything, and I'm like, crap, because that it, it sucks, you know. Um, and this was after my manager assigned me and uh Margaret Gerard, she, and she told me like, don't worry about it. Like if you're on a veil, that's, I know that you're doing what you need to do in front of these casting directors to get the call back and you know, you're, you're impressing them. So don't worry about it. So with her saying that as well as they brought in Brian Cranston to the school uh recently last semester. And he said something that I've been like trying to, trying to implement within my auditioning is treat every audition as your opportunity to act. You know, you're, don't worry about getting the job, you know, just go in there, show them what you got and then leave and leave it at that. You don't have to like sit around, twirl your thumbs at home waiting for a phone call that may or may not come, you know. So it's about keeping that positive attitude and and, and that driving force forward. Mm
1: hmm.
2: Now, what is some of the best advice that you could give to, to somebody that's just looking to start in the industry? Because you've obviously been there, you're still working through it, and you're learning as you're going. But what advice would you give to somebody that is looking in the same spot that you were when you first started?
3: I would say to make sure that you do your homework because there are a lot of agents out there that that are scam artists. There are, there are a lot of... Uh, Websites that are scam artists that, that just want your money. um do your homeworks. um get, get in with a community, a film community or a theater community. Do theater. Theater is phenomenal. There are a lot of actors I know out here that are against it, but and I have no clue why. Maybe they're scared, but, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone to, to, to grow yourself is the only way you're going to grow, especially in, in this industry. Um, I think those are the things that I would tell somebody getting into this business.
2: Well, very good. And you have
3: to be in it for a long haul. You oh. have to be in it for a long haul. It's a, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. You're gonna you're gonna go through, you know, huge periods of time where you're not getting any work, and then all of a sudden it's going to blow up, and you're gonna you're gonna be like, wow, like I have all this stuff lined up, and now I'm stressed out because I have too many lines to learn. You know. I hear that. But it's great.
2: that's a good problem that's a good problem though
3: it is yes
2: well Justin we're almost to the end of the show we got about another minute and a half left kind of tell everybody how uh, they can find you what you have coming up that they can expect to see and uh, how they can see it
3: cool all right so um well right now I'm just auditioning a lot I I'm in a couple I'm gonna be featured in something called uh all my brothers um it's a it's being produced by Breezeway Productions, Alex Helisick is the writer for that. Uh, he reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to be in it, and I was like, sure. So, I do get sometimes, you know, people calling me and knowing, already knowing my talent, and I don't have to audition for it, which is great. Uh, you can see me on IMDb, Justin Graver, J-U-S-T-O-N, not I-N, It's because my dad was drunk and couldn't draw a straight line. Um, <laughs> I started an improv group at USC, so if anybody's listening and is wanting to visit you know, uh, this is the USC campus, um, picking up in the fall again. We'll be doing shows every Friday. Uh I'm not sure that at the time yet. It might be four or five, it might be five or six. We're, we're working out through the schedules and, and all that stuff. But we, we have like guest overriders from UCB, uh, Second City, Second City, Groundlings come in and, um, performing with us as well as coaching us so that we're, we, we maintain growth within our, um improv group it's called pretty not bad comedy squad so that's cool um i think that's it just keep an eye out for me because i'm rising slowly but surely
2: all right well thank you so much for coming on we had a lot of fun and i wish you all the best and i can't wait to see some of the stuff that you have coming out
3: sweet thanks for having me
2: you're welcome all right guys we're going to go to a quick commercial break when we come back we got more music commentary and interviews so stay tuned
0: Do you love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd. And his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs> I'm Sharon Mae Wang. Please check out my movie, OMG,
3: We're in a Horror Movie, on iTunes or Google Play today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Andy Allo, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show.
2: All right, guys, I have on the line with me a very special guest, and he's going to be talking to us about his book. And his book is really about something that had a profound impact on American history and one of our presidential elect- uh, presidential candidates right now. And as an art show, we are very, 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 very passionate about anybody's ability to get out there and express themselves to their art, no matter what it may be. However, imagine doing some artwork, a video, and you put it out there for people to enjoy as a satire, and all of a sudden you wake up one morning to find out that your video is now being blamed for the deaths of five people in an embassy and the loss of that embassy because of a radical Islam that you supposedly upset, only to find out it was a complete lie. That is what we're going to be talking about. His name is Ken Timmerman, and he is the author of Making of the YouTube Video, um, Hillary and Obama Blamed for Benghazi. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
4: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on.
2: Well, I have always been very fascinated about this stuff, and it's amazing that a video that somebody just innocently put up there to basically be a satire ended up being blamed for an entire massacre of people, uh, treason against the United States, and yet, it had nothing to do with it. How did this all happen?
4: <laughs> right. The, the The movie had zero to do with Benghazi. We know that uh, now. We actually knew that pretty quickly after the fact, and for a fact, Hillary Clinton knew that the night of the attacks when she was actually blaming. Uh, the video, which is why my book is called Deception. It is a massive deception on the American people uh, to blame this video, uh, to distract attention from what was really going on in Benghazi. So that's what they were doing.
2: And it's, 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 as an artist for me, I would be heartbroken knowing that my video was blamed for this not realizing at first maybe if it was or was not or anything like that we found that out later but imagine what it did to that poor person that made this video i mean that to me would send me into a tailspin of depression i mean what 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 did what can they do to rectify this poor guy and what and what they they blamed him for
4: Well, the filmmaker uh, did not make this as a satire. The filmmaker uh, was actually intending to make a movie uh, in a two hour long movie that would wake people up to the threat from Sharia Islamist ideology, from the supremacist ideology of Sharia law. Mm. Uh, The movie, you call it a satire. I fully understand why, because when you watch this 14 minute trailer, uh, it's hard to take it seriously. It's pathetic. It's very amateurish. Uh, but he made it with a serious intent. The actresses, and and part of my book is is the story of one of the actresses, Cindy Lee Garcia. Uh, She woke up the day after to see her face on TV. She was blamed for the deaths of our Americans in Benghazi. She was mortified. She said, that's not me. That's not even the movie I played in. She said, I don't know anything about Islam. We never mentioned Muhammad." Uh, so the filmmaker tricked the actors and the actresses, dubbed in the um, names of Muhammad and, and, and Aisha and all these other uh, names from the Quran into the movie later on uh, and then posted it in an Arabic uh, uh, makeover as well. Uh, so the actress was is basically she's been trying for ever since then for over three years to get her life back. She still has death threats against her. It's absolutely incredible.
2: What kind of blows me away is how they were able to find a video like this on YouTube anyway. How did the government find something like this to be able to blame it on it?
4: Well, the government was aware of it uh, because it had been circulating in a very low level in Cairo. People were tweeting to the U.S. Embassy. A couple of people had tweeted to the U.S. Embassy in Cairo. They didn't know anything about it at first. uh, And then they went out and and found it and said, oh, well, we denounce this uh, and have nothing to do with it. But... The irony – and I and I wanted to trace how the, the YouTube video went went viral because uh, the night of September 11th, nobody saw it. The mm-hmm. first news accounts here in the United States – and I went back and I found the reporters and, 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 and asked some questions about this. Um, the first news reports pointed to a YouTube uh, channel – that had 405 views 405 that's it in other words nobody had seen it right. okay it was this was not a major news phenomenon at the time and yet they pumped it up and hillary clinton that same night blamed it for the attacks before by the way the attacks were even over right uh, obama blamed it for the attacks the next day all that week they kept on blaming it for the attacks the following week they actually took out seventy thousand dollars worth of advertising in pakistan To blame it for the attacks and thanks to all of this promotion from our government and only thanks to that promotion the movie went viral had over 10 million views around the world and sparked 83 very real violent protests against u.s embassies and consulates and other facilities mainly in the middle east that caused that took the lives of 40 people so 40 more people died because of the deception that hillary and obama were putting uh, putting uh, out on Librarian
2: people. See, this is what really gets me upset because I see our president looking at different things that he could do right now to actually solve these problems, and yet it's got to be politically correct all the time. I mean, I know that not every Muslim is a terrorist, and but— you know, he's making it sound like we're making that assumption and he's taking these little things and fueling the fire like like what's going on right now with the with the cops and everything else. Um, You know, he's doing these types of things to do something. What is the agenda that he's trying to accomplish? Is he trying to get us killed? Is he trying to fight for martial law? What is going on? Why is this happening? Why are they blaming something and and ir- and getting people so irate over something stupid like this?
4: Well, I, I like to say I can't psychoanalyze the president and I'm not even going to take that risk of trying to do so and tell you what's in his mind. But I can tell you what he's done. And, and if you follow his actions, I think his motives then become pretty clear. This is a, a man who took office saying he was going to change the way the United States behaved in the Middle East. He was going to change our image in the Middle East. He believed that uh, we had engaged before in the previous uh, presidency, a war against Islam. So he wanted America to show it was friends with Islam. And his version of Islam, by the way, and this is very important, the version of Islam he wanted to be friendly towards uh, was the Muslim Brotherhood. And as the Muslim Brotherhood, he helped take over power in Egypt, take over power in Libya, in Tunisia, uh, and uh, you know, th- kicking out leaders who had been pro-American for years. So he tipped those alliances, overturned our alliances in favor of a group that seeks to reimpose Sharia law worldwide to establish a worldwide Islamic caliphate. I think that's profoundly dangerous uh, to the United States of America. I think it's fundamentally un-American.
2: It is. It absolutely is. And, you know, it it just – I don't know. I just get so passionate about this because it's like, you know, I see that these things could be done so differently, and yet the people aren't waking up, and they're not, they're not fact checking anything that's going on right now, especially with stuff like this. And this is really what has a profound impact on our, fi- on our future as well. Um, how can we sit there and we, how can we, if we hear something from the president, something like this? I never quite believed it to begin with, but what happens if we hear something? How do we, how do we go around finding the truth? Well, it, it,
4: it takes some time. And, and look, it took me. Uh, I spent a year and a half with the filmmaker and the actress here, the lawyers involved in this case. This was a two and a half year lawsuit as well. Uh, you had Google, a, a gigantic megabillion uh, dollar corporation, the, the second largest or sometimes the largest corporation on Wall Street uh, on the stock market. Uh, they spent millions of their shareholder dollars to fight the actress and to help the filmmaker to keep this movie online. Uh, Absolutely unbelievable. Why? Because Eric Schmidt, the head of Google, was friends with Barack Obama. He was a campaign donor to Obama, supported Obama. Uh, We now have, and I've got this in the book, we have emails that were going from Hillary Clinton staff to uh, top people at Google telling them, we want to keep the video online, on the air. They didn't say why, but the reason was simple, so they could continue to blame it for Benghazi. I think what was going on here was a little bit like an old-style magic trick. You know, look at my right hand. My right hand is the video, this YouTube video. Keep watching, America. Watch my right hand. Look at this YouTube video. Please don't look over here at my left hand because that's where I'm selling guns to jihadi terrorists in Benghazi. But watch my right hand. Keep your attention on my right hand. That's what I think they were doing. That's that was the deception.
2: That's what I was just about to ask you. What what was the the purpose of using this puppet show and and, and to to to. get us away from something because everything it seems like the 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 administration has done whether it be from the president himself or his uh you know staff members or something they're always taking it and making like a puppet show and then we're we're so uh, you know looking over here look over here look over here and then all of a sudden he's doing something behind our back pushing some type of legislation through so i didn't i didn't know that they were actually selling guns to uh these militants
4: Oh, absolutely, and um, uh, I I write—I've written about that in other places. Uh, That's not the subject of this particular book, but I've written about that before. And uh, there was a shipment in August of uh, 2012, which became very public and really is is what sparked the whole crisis in Benghazi. Uh, The CIA director was sent over there to take a look at it, and in fact, one of the reasons they sent Chris Stevens to Benghazi was to try to tamp the whole thing down, to to bury it, to make it go away. Uh, But this deception operation was just. Uh, you know, it was extraordinarily well orchestrated, and it's not the only time they've done it. Uh, you know, some some of our listeners might remember this New York Times Magazine uh, piece about Ben Rhodes in the White House, and how he was uh, leading young journalists, as he would call them, the 27-year-old, uh, 27-year-old uh, average age of the Washington Press Corps, 27 years old, know nothings, the 27-year-old know nothings of the Washington Press Corps, and he would tell them a whole crock of lies about the Iran deal, the Iran nuclear deal, and he he knew that they would simply repeat them verbatim, which they did. So this administration has really taken the uh, press for fools, and they've taken the American people for fools, and, and, and have just led one deception operation after another.
2: Now, after writing your book here, and obviously you have a lot of information on it, do you really think that the guy that decided to make this video had any intention to try to cause such uh, turmoil as his video was actually blamed for.
4: Uh, no, but I think he was aware that uh it would certainly be controversial. He asked uh, uh a guy named Steve Klein who's a character in this you know, who comes into this book, somebody I interviewed as well, a uh, former US Marine Corps, he hosts a show about radical Islam on on a internet TV channel. He asked him uh, "Hey, can I be prosecuted in the United States for doing this because in my home country" I can go to jail. And Klein said, Oh, no, no, we got something called the First Amendment here. Uh, you ought to be fine. Don't worry about it, but I'll, I'll help you out. Well, as it turned out, of course, Nakula was prosecuted and was thrown in jail for a year for making the movie, even though the prosecutors tried to pre- pretend it had nothing to do with the movie. And every other sentence they uttered in the sentencing hearing, you know, in the court hearing, uh, was about the movie.
2: Now, how did he get prosecuted? Because technically, he has that blanket. Is it because that they were they were considering it like an anti uh, hate type of video? Or is, how did they how did they actually manage well, that's to what, make that that's
4: happen? That's what they wanted. To, that is what they wanted to do. And uh, remember, Hillary Clinton in 2011 had worked with Muslim countries to try to uh, designate by the UN. Uh, it's called UN General Assembly Resolution 1618 anti-muslim hate speech uh so they would call it hate speech so it could be prosecuted they didn't yet have that law on the books so what did they do well the guy turned out to be a prior convicted felon okay uh he had his own past he was involved in a credit card scheme did 21 months in jail and so they got him on a technicality on a parole violation that's what they put him back in jail for i mean when you read that story Uh, In the book, you're just going to be rolling your eyes. How could they possibly put a guy in jail for 12 months for something like this? It's just it just defies the uh, you know, it's un-American.
2: Right. And talking about the terrorists. And like you just said, there was an anti-hate Muslim hate uh, act that came in there now. Why don't they have that for for, uh, you know, Christians or anybody else? Why is it always (laughs) Muslims?
4: Yeah, well, of course, because that's the whole goal. The goal this is driven by the organization of the Islamic of Islamic Cooperation, the 57 Muslim nations, basically spearheaded by Saudi Arabia, and their goal is to impose Sharia uh, type uh, uh, restrictions on Western countries. They want us to be adhering to Sharia law. You know, you can't even practice Christianity in Saudi Arabia. You can't. There are no churches. Uh, there are probably a million. Christian Filipinos who work in Saudi Arabia, if they openly pray, they know they will go to jail. Uh, back in the 1980s, uh, when we were working with the Saudis uh, against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan, then CIA Director uh, uh, Bill Casey uh, flew into Saudi Arabia on, on his own, on a government jet, uh, over Easter, and he was a Catholic. And so he wanted to hold Easter services, and he, ins- he insisted on holding them in the embassy, and everybody was uh, holding their pants. They were terrified the Saudis were going to arrest him, and it- luckily it was the CIA director who was conducting the church services because otherwise they thought they'd all go to jail. So there's wow. no tolerance for Christianity in many Muslim countries, t- Saudi Arabia in particular, probably the worst.
2: Well, as you can say, as you said, this this is one of the biggest orchestrated deceptions in, in the United States. Here, now, does our government really believe we are that stupid, or are we really that stupid to believe the stuff at face value?
4: Well, here's the problem: uh, the government, this government, uh, under this administration, understands they have the majority of the uh, national media in their pocket. Uh, and when you have the media in your pocket and, and uh, opposing that are just Internet uh, folks on the Internet or perhaps Fox News sometimes, uh, it's really easy to put forward this deception and make it stick. Uh, that is the big problem. We no longer have, I believe, uh, the free media that I grew up with in the, in the 60s and the 70s or that I began to practice as a, as a journalist in the late 70s and the 80s. It's no longer the same as what it used to be.
2: Wow. Well, let's talk about your book a little bit more in, in, in the idea of how, it, how did you decide you wanted to write it? What, what was your inspiration behind this?
4: Well, I, I, I'd written a previous book about Benghazi called Dark Forces, The Truth About What Happened in Benghazi, which looked at uh, the attack itself. It looked at what happened before the attack. It looked at the situation in Benghazi, the security situation. Uh, it examined the Iranian presence, very important in Benghazi, that everybody was neglecting, uh, and and I realized there was kind of one chapter which I had left out because it was a big chapter uh, and it was worth a book in itself, and that was the YouTube video. Uh, and I wanted to there were questions in my mind. I wanted to know was there a U.S. government involvement in making the YouTube video? Short answer, no, there was not. Uh, was there a Muslim involvement in making it? No, there wasn't. Uh, the guy was a Coptic Christian, and he made it uh, with. Uh, his own money and with donations from people in his community. And his goal really was to expose uh, Islamic uh, supremacist ideology. Uh, So, but I had all those questions and I wanted to kind of answer those questions. So I spent about a year and a half uh, with uh, the actress, this actress, Cindy Garcia with her lawyer, Chris Armenta uh, and with the filmmaker, Nakula. Um, I spent a lot of time with him going back and forth, going over all of these court documents and, I think one of the things that shocked me the most was the role of Google. You know, I just couldn't believe that Google would get so involved in this, but they did. Another thing, as the emails started to get um, uh, released by the State Department, the ones that Hillary Clinton uh, was trying to keep from the public, uh, we learned that Sid Blumenthal, the former Clinton White House consigliere um, and spinmeister, was deeply involved in crafting the deception itself and focusing the blame it on the YouTube video narrative, so I began to pull on those th- threads and kind of pull it all together I said wow this is this is really quite a story, and we haven't read this story before in the media because uh, the national media didn't want to deal with Benghazi at all to mm-hmm. begin with.
2: Have you received any type of negativity or pressure from the government because of your book?
4: Well, besides an IRS audit I mean <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but what can I tell you you uh, look. The, 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 this administration uh, is, is so actively engaged in spinning the media, um, working with reporters to spin them, that when stories like this come out, they try to either ignore them or just spin in the other direction. Uh, I have not uh, received uh, actual pressure from the government, um, and uh, I, I would say I, I'm, I, I shouldn't say I'm grateful for that. That's normal. <laughs> I shouldn't be receiving pressure from the government for writing a story, right?
2: Absolutely. That's absolutely right. You shouldn't have to, and you have the right to express yourself and tell your side of the story or tell the truth or wherever it may be, the way that you feel it. It needs to be out there, and and people do need to hear this stuff because they are if they don't open their eyes to this, they're going to continue with that blindfold, and that's going to lead to destruction of our country, our families, and so so many other things along the way. It's very important.
4: Yeah, I I saw just uh, by chance today... Um, a a, a brief video by a woman named Naomi Wolf. I posted it to my Facebook page, Ken Timmerman on Facebook. She is a Hillary Clinton uh, not just supporter, she worked in the White House uh, with uh, the Clintons. And uh, so she's a big Clinton supporter. And she was out there talking about government deception uh, and a new law that was passed a couple of years ago that allows the federal government to essentially uh, tell propaganda lies To the american people and she was warning her fellow journalists how dangerous this was now she didn't talk about benghazi she didn't talk about this youtube video but clearly she was saying hey uh what you think is a news story might not be a news story it might actually be government propaganda Mm -hmm. here in the united states of america and that was coming from somebody on the left
2: wow he never thought you'd, you, we'd come to this day where it's happening, but it is happening, and we can stand up and, and fight that. I believe in our own ways. Um, how could how can we make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen in the media?
4: Well, I, you know, I don't want to ascribe too much importance to what I'm doing, but read my book. You know, read Deception. It's a it's a story which will shock you. Uh, It's a it's a it's a quick read. I I did that purposefully. I wanted to make it easy to read. So the characters you can follow and sympathize with you read about this actress who's trying to get her life back. Hillary's destroyed her completely. Um, And, uh, you know, it's it's a um, uh, it's something that kind of gives you a template for what uh, government, at least under this administration, has been trying to do to deceive the American people. We can wake up, but you've got to educate yourselves to wake up.
2: Right. Well, Ken, we got about a minute left. I want you to be able to tell everybody how they can find you, how they can get your book, and anything else you want to add before we got to go? Well, Jason, I
4: appreciate you having me on. And uh, uh, look, my website is KenTimmerman.com, uh, T-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N, KenTimmerman.com. You can Google me. I'm all over the place. Uh, I write regularly at The Hill and, and other publications, uh, The Daily Caller. Uh, but I think this book is really important. Uh, it's an easy-to-read book. Uh, it's my 11th book of nonfiction. You'll see – other things that I've written at my website, uh, including uh, a book about the persecuted church in Iraq. So I feel deeply about the truth. I think the truth matters. And I think our, our, our liberties, our God-given liberties in the in this country are being challenged, and we need to stand up for them.
2: Well, Ken, you are a wealth of information. I am so glad you came on here and talked about your book. I wish you all the best, and I will continue to see any other books you ever come out, and hopefully we'll get you back on.
4: Thanks. Thanks so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. Been been
2: fun. Thank you. Alright, guys, we're gonna to go to commercial break when we come back. We got more stuff for you, so don't go anywhere.
0: Do you love horror? The strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends. Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out Internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs>
2: welcome back everybody i hope you enjoyed the show thus far and we're going to close it out talking about success as i promised earlier in the show now i'm not going to get into a bunch of names or anything like that because i don't want to embarrass anybody but i was always under the impression that if you accomplish something in your life you should be proud of it Um, success is based upon those accomplishments no matter what it may be the problem that I ran into is that that's not the case with everybody, and I was kind of shocked because I'm like, man, you know what? I've worked hard to accomplish things in my life, and it's just I can't believe that somebody would just kind of like overlook it. Um, you know, there are different types of success that we have. We have business success, we have financial success, we have uh, um, maybe artistic su- successes, um, we have uh, home and family successes, um, but regardless. We have success, and I would hope that everybody in their lifetime would have some type of success and recognize it. Now, when I was talking to these people, um, they were saying to themselves, or actually to me, that you know not everybody has the same successes, and therefore it's different, and you know it's it's embarrassing because they believe that their successes weren't as good as anybody else's, and I was like, wow, that's kind of messed up because how can you? Um, how can you physically compare your successes to mine? For instance, um, let's talk about Tom Brady. Tom Brady is a three-time Super Bowl MVP. He is a four-time Super Bowl champion. He is the only unanimously nominated uh, MVP uh, league MVP. Um, he is uh, he's won I don't know how many games, f- probably five. Five times more than the most than most people ever have, and he's seen more success on a football field than anybody else. And then I am an artist. Um, I don't. I, I, I've had my stuff in Epcot. Um, I have, I have had displays all the way across the world. I have won awards. My stuff has been recognized by Coca Cola, and um, yet, if you look at it on a scale comparing myself to Tom Brady. I'm a failure. However, I don't play sports. So I will never be able to have that type of success. But the success that I have in my own field is pretty impressive. And, you know, I know Tom Brady probably isn't a photographer. So his ability to have his work displayed at Epcot probably not going to happen. So this is what I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how can we compare ourselves to anybody else? You know, finances, I hear this all the time. People are so jealous of people that have money. Why? They did something that you didn't do. That doesn't mean that you aren't successful with what you're doing. We cannot compare ourselves to anybody else for any reason, even if they are in the same exact um, field that we are in. We have to sit there and realize that we have different abilities, we have different capabilities than somebody else may. They may have different types of equipment that they use that we don't have access to. But just because we didn't necessarily win the Pulitzer Prize does not mean that we aren't successful. And that doesn't mean that we didn't accomplish something very important in our lives. Our accomplishments are based upon our goals. And however we decide to hit those goals If we reach a goal that we set for ourselves, that's a huge accomplishment, and we should be proud of that, and nobody ever should knock what we were able to do. Um, Another thing that I was talking about with success is, and and another reason why we shouldn't compare each other, is I did a lot of juried art shows throughout my time, and people keep asking me, why don't I do juried shows anymore? Well, it's not necessarily the fact that... um, I want to win. Everybody wants to win. That joins that. Um, I did it mostly for the ability to get my work exposed, and it's an easier way to do it because you don't have to go through this big rigmarole. You just pay your money, and you pretty much come in. But I didn't get this. I didn't get the accomplishment that I got from that. I wanted my stuff to be exactly based upon the quality of the work, not because I'm paying some money. But that wasn't the whole reason. The other reason is is that when my work would go in there, I'm a photographer. And I was being put up against fine artists like uh, acrylics or oils, uh, 2D and 3D um, sculptors, mixed media, jewelry, uh, you name it. Just about any type of artwork was being put up against mine. And here's the problem with that. Most judges will never pick a photograph over somebody that did Fine oils or acrylics, because they feel in their heart that it takes more skill to do a fine art of oil or acrylics than it does a, photo- a photograph. Well, the techniques may be a little bit different, but if they saw what I do to make sure that my photos are impactful, the I take just the amount of the same amount of work and the same amount of uh, steps that I need to do to make sure that that photograph says what I wanted to say is a visual presentation of the way I saw it and that I have everything perfect because I have to make sure that the model's perfect. I have to make sure the lighting's perfect. I have to make sure that my camera's calibrated correctly. I have to make sure that it's white balance. I have to make sure that the costumes are right. The makeup is right. um, The situation's right and that they are telling a story with their body that you will understand in that photograph. So you know that's a problem. You cannot compare my work to a fine artist. Therefore, you cannot compare a fine artist to my work. That doesn't mean that their work is any better than or any harder than mine, or mine is any harder or any better than theirs. When I believe that you're going to do something like a juried show to have success, you have to sit there and categorize each person's abilities and work based upon the genre that they are working in. That way it makes it a little bit fair. Now, Best in show can be anything, um, but it should that should be based not upon the, the, the medium that it's presented in, but the subject matter and the story it tells and why yours is better than everybody else. So that's the only time I honestly can say you can physically compare yourself to somebody else's success or accomplishments, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's right because it should be based upon the medium and and the other outlets that are there I hope this is making some sense to you because I know it's kind of complicated but I don't want anybody to ever sit there and, and judge your accomplishments and belittle your accomplishments or your successes based upon somebody else um, that's just wrong and you're you're kind of defeating yourself. Remember, you are an individual. You have individual uh, needs. You have individual abilities and skill sets that not everybody else has. You set goals for yourself, and you accomplish them. That's all that matters, and you should be proud of that. What really shocked me was some of the people that never picked up an uh, art piece, uh, you know, camera, or anything, never owned a business or, or what have you, sat there and said, well, I didn't accomplish anything. I said, you had a family. You have kids. Well, that's not really much of an accomplishment. What do you mean it's not much of an accomplishment? There are people out there that cannot have kids. There are people that are not able to do what you're able to do. Are you married? Yes, that's an accomplishment. That should be a great accomplishment if you don't have children. Again, look at your priorities and don't judge your accomplishments or your successes or your abilities against anybody else's. Just be yourself. Be proud of who you are. Be proud of what you've done. And if you do that, you're going to be A-OK, I promise. All right, guys, we've got about a minute left, so I want to sit there and say thank you again for coming here and spending some time with us, listening to this radio show, and also spreading the word about it. That's so important. If you want to hear us, we're on amfm247.com and all their AMFM stations every Saturday night, 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, if it's on the AMRFM station, you're going to have to find out what time zone that is that it broadcasts in your area we're also on WKLAP which is an internet radio station you can hear us every Friday at noon and we are on iHeart On Demand just go up there and go to AME uh, Radio Show just search it for it add us there that's a very huge accomplishment for us as well so until next time guys keep those creative juices flowing and I want to know what you have coming out next week visit us on the website Good night, everybody have a great week that's it?
4: We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay. That's it.